Welcome back to the Equipoise podcast. Today's episode, Pride Month. The month of June is presently recognized as Pride Month in the United States. It, like others similarly fashioned dedications such as Black History Month and Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, is a month-long commemoration and education of the existence, contributions, and struggles of the growing number of people in America who identify as LGBTQ. Christian responses to Pride Month, in line with their responses to the LGBTQ topic in general, have been widely variegated. This observation will inform the very limited scope of this episode, which is how to properly and best respond to Pride Month from a balanced Christian perspective. Now, two clarifiers are necessary here when employing the term Christian perspective. First, I'm aware that this term is more ambiguous today than it perhaps ever has been, so for the context of this podcast episode, by Christian perspective, I mean the historic view which affirms a biblically faithful abstract of God's design for human sexuality, which is a biological man and a biological woman committed exclusively to each other for life. This, by nature, excludes any other expressions of sexuality from the pornography and masturbation that's too often dismissed as relatively harmless, all the way to pedophilia and the sex trafficking industry, which are more readily and broadly condemned, as well as everything else in between. All distortions of God's design for human sexuality, subtle or obvious, small or large, miss the mark of God's good intentions and design for human function and flourishing. The second necessary clarification is as follows. When I say Christian perspective, I'm also rightly excluding any view on the other extreme that dehumanizes or denigrates people who identify as LGBTQ. While a clear and increasingly unpopular stance on a biblical sexual ethic is good and needful, I often see this presented in a spirit that's anything but Christ-like. This betrays self-oriented motives and carnal reasons for disagreeing with those who identify as LGBTQ. Whether it's an angry protest with hateful things scrawled on picket signs, or a sermon relegating all LGBTQ people to their own category of reprobation and irredeemability, there's far too much vitriol and disgust masquerading as a Christian perspective when neither of those things have anything to do with Christ. So, with those two clarifications in play, what have been the Christian responses to Pride Month and the LGBTQ topic at large? Well, some responses have been concessive. That is, for any number of reasons, some less valid than others, many Christians have addressed this pragmatically with concessions that sound like, well, God may have made them this way, or perhaps the popular, doesn't God love everybody, and so on, embracing the postmodern fallacy that love is somehow equal to endorsement. This could be out of a desire to be winsome or to find common ground or perhaps even a fear of reprisal. It's not necessarily an affirming view per se, but it's one that's conciliatory to the point of not being clear about the Christian sexual ethic and not inviting people to adopt it. On the other hand, some well-meaning Christians, in an attempt to call people to repentance and faithfulness to a biblical sexual ethic, approach this topic with a confrontational slew of scripture verses posted on their social media pages, either about how pride goes before destruction, or how homosexuality is an abomination, and how repentance is sorely needed. While these approaches fall short of being vitriolic or rude, and while they may be right on a tactical level, they're still counterproductive in my mind, as they don't catalyze or foster 
real conversations or change. They only serve to push the amen button from those who already agree and push away those who don't. I'm not saying we shouldn't speak up about what's right and what's wrong, but I'm convinced that launching random truth salvos, so to speak, into the community is neither effective nor a Christological approach. As a result, this sort of approach often has the opposite effect of the one desired and intended. Another approach is an attempt to reclaim, in some way, the month of June or the symbol of the rainbow from the LGBT community, as it were, by suggesting that some other observation take the place of Pride Month or insisting that the rainbow really belongs to Christians and so on. My personal favorite of these replacement observations is Dinosaur Month. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I don't think that sticking our heads in the sand and pretending it isn't so, or worse, being combative about it, will do much more than both alienate and galvanize those on the other side of the issue. So that's just three approaches among many, but let's get to the point of the episode. How then should we approach this topic? When we read about how our nearest library is having a drag queen story hour, or like literally about 30 minutes ago, in my own personal life, I was driving down the road after dropping somebody off at home after church, and sure enough, I uh, saw a, uh, a, a person who would clearly identify as a drag queen dressed in uh, a rainbow dress, who's clearly a man, um, uh, unloading things from their car. We just had a, a, a gay pride parade, as it were, right here in our town yesterday. Uh, so how, how do we respond when we see these things? We know what our message is which is an invitation to follow Jesus and conform to his ideals about sexuality, but how can we make sure we're presenting this message in a right, clear, and balanced way to our culture? Three suggestions. First, examine the motives behind your message. Why are you not affirming or an ally? Is it because it disgusts you to think of same-sex attraction and conjugation? Is it because you just weren't raised to believe that way? Is it because you think all LGBTQ people are sexual predators or pedophiles? If so, your motives are likely in need of some examination. Listen, Jesus calls people to follow him and conform their sexual ethic to God's standard, not because he's just so grossed out by sin, not because he's fed up with the agenda, not any of that. He does so because he loves them, because he wants what's best for them and all of creation, including you, which is to unite under God's ideal for existing and flourishing in his good world. So if that's not a motive you share, you have the wrong motive. Next, examine the methods driving your message. Remember, you can speak or post all the truth you want, but there's a reason Jesus befriended people and stepped into their lives in love instead of posting drive-by verses on Facebook or Twitter. There's a reason Paul spent weeks dialoguing and reasoning with people instead of grabbing a megaphone and quoting random verses on the street corner. It's because there's a very particular way that people work in that our biases determine how we receive and process information. Now, I've already talked a lot about bias in this podcast, so I'll condense as follows. When ministering to people in our generation, we have a responsibility to communicate with people in a way that does not simply lob verses and assertions at them, however true they may be, but rather open a forum in which the gospel can be offered and received. That's what Jesus did. Lastly, but just as importantly, examine the mentality informing your message. When we rightly invite people to conform their sexual ethic to a biblical one, we're not asking people to just do something akin to dropping a bad habit. We're ultimately asking people to view their sexuality as a function rather than as a core part of their identity. 
This is important because it runs counter to everything our culture teaches about sexuality, which is today discussed in terms of identity rather than attraction, function, or behavior. Now, if you'll recall from my episode entitled Clown World, we're living in an age that philosopher Charles Taylor calls the age of authenticity. Here, the self and subjective desires of self are seen as authentic and placed opposite of objective reality, thus making conformity to objective reality ultimately nothing more than hypocrisy or inauthenticity to self. And this is key to understand the deepest root of the many branches of the LGBTQ tree, if you will. So today, disagreeing with or confronting someone on the LGBTQ issue is not merely a dissent or disagreement, but is now tantamount to invalidating one's entire idea of self, and that's no small thing. Because of the way we as a culture are now rooting our identities in our sexuality, and because identities are necessarily dialogical by nature, people understandably feel hated, erased, or dehumanized when someone or some book like the Bible calls for that sexuality to be normative, reproductive, and biologically compatible. To quote Carl Truman, the refusal by any individual to recognize an identity that society at large recognizes as legitimate is a moral offense, not simply a matter of indifference. The question of identity in the modern world is a question of dignity. For this reason, the various court cases in America concerning the provision of cakes and flowers for gay weddings are not ultimately about the flowers or the cakes, end quote. So it is imperative that we maintain clarity on this point in order to effectively communicate our message. To quote John Benton on the issue, the idea that our true identity is sexual is wrong. The Genesis account tells us that sex is a function of who we are, not who we are. Adam was a true human being before he ever had sex with Eve, end quote. So, in closing, if you're hoping to lead people to follow Jesus and be bold about what the Bible and nature have to say about sexuality, I'm with you, but I'm imploring you, please don't mess this up. You can really hurt people and drive them further away if you don't do this right. So, for Pride Month and the other 11 months of the year, stay balanced. Stay balanced.